interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T. This is the MLW Radio Network. This episode of Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Now, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app to your phone, and then you're just a few finger taps away from all those great events that you want to see. And because you listen to Prime Time, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. So, what are you waiting for? Get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I hope all of you are doing well in your world, wherever you may be. I have to say, you know, I have been blown away by the reaction to the Raw 25 Best 25 Moments in Raw History show that I had the chance to be a part of, along with Peter Rosenberg and Corey Graves, all part of the Raw 25 Live special. You know, as I mentioned, I was invited to be there in New York City. And man, was it tough to watch that great event knowing I could have been there. But I was honored that I was able to be a part of it in one of the supporting shows. Uh, that's uh, that's all I can say, because otherwise I'm going to get really upset. And I don't want to start, you know, getting all emotional and, and teary-eyed because I didn't get to be there. But it, <laughs> I'm kidding. It was it was great. And I really, I was uh, honored to be part of uh, that program. And we had a blast. I hope I get a chance to do more. So I'm going to leave it at that. Stay tuned. We're also coming off another great conversation on primetime, a rare conversation if you caught it with Jim Johnston, the man behind the music of the WWF, WWE. And what I loved, and there were many things about that podcast, was that he had his guitar along uh, as we were talking and he played it throughout. So there's some real gems in there as he explained how he came up with some of those great themes uh, that so many love and know so well. And, you know, and he, he played little parts of it. it. It was awesome. As I mentioned, Jim, you know, hasn't done too many of these interviews. And we talked for nearly two hours. We certainly covered a lot of ground. If you want to know how it all happened and how it all wrapped up, if you haven't heard it yet, take a listen. Also, if you're looking to hear some great live music in your town, you know, a great band or a performer that you love, you know where I'm going here. I know a real easy way for you to see all those great events. SeatGeek. That's right. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app right onto your mobile device. And once you do that, you're just a few finger taps away from getting those awesome seats to that special event. You've been thinking about it. You know you have. There's a lot of great performers coming to your town. Don't miss them. Now listen to this because you're one of my listeners. Once you have the SeatGeek app on your phone, all you have to do is just plug in the promo code PRIMETIME. That's prime time, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Now, let me tell you why SeatGeek is absolutely the best. One big reason, as I've mentioned before, is that SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites to compare and find the best prices. Also, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with total confidence. And, of course, the best part about it all, because you are one of my listeners you get that very special deal. Just download the SeatGeek app onto your mobile device 
whatever it may be, and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E. And you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So, when you have the chance, maybe right after you listen to the podcast, download the SeatGeek app. All right, it's time to get to the main event. Well, everybody, I have to say I'm really excited to welcome our guest this week on Primetime, one of the absolute most popular superstars to ever step into the ring for the WWF slash WWE, Tito Santana. Thank you so much for coming on with us. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, and, and thank you for uh, for having me on your show. You know, uh, when you you think about it, um, and, and, and you know, people remember you, of course, during that period of time. Uh, what the, like they think, in many people's minds, is the greatest era of wrestling ever, '80s and '90s. But you know, I, I was uh, as I do my prep work for these for these uh, podcasts, and I was saying, man, I didn't realize how much you accomplished in the WWF. Were there? I mean, uh, what has become the WWE, of course, but. Um, between that period of time, there seventy nine to ninety three, and you had a, a couple little breaks in there. But you were two time WWF Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, a two time WWF Tag Team Champion. Uh, you won the eighty nine King of the Ring tournament, and this is a this is a, quite a uh, you know a standout uh, uh, record is that you wrestled in all of the first nine WrestleMania events. There's only one other superstar who did that, and that was Hulk Hogan. Uh, do you, when you hear someone tell you that, does, does, uh, uh, what kind of memories does that bring back? And do you realize how much you did? It, it, now that, that I sit back and look and, 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 and think about, you know, the hard work that went into that, uh, yeah. you know, day in and day out, uh, you do uh, appreciate, you know, the accomplishments that, that I had. And, and, uh, I was so very lucky that, uh, you know, you know, I didn't uh, go through, uh, you know, any serious, serious injuries, but it, it's always nice to, you know, to think back and, you know, to think of the opportunities that I had there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for, uh, for, <clears throat> for everything that, that Vince, uh, and the WWE have done for me. You know, you, uh, your, your, the early part of your career is pretty much a whirlwind before you got to the, the WWF. Uh, but did you realize that at the time, what was happening in the world of professional wrestling, uh, where, where Vince had taken it and then just how much of a gigantic stage it became. I don't think any of us, you know, realized it, uh, at the beginning. Cause I remember, uh, Pat Patterson would, would, would come to, to the TV tapings in Allentown and he would say, uh, well, we're taking over Minnesota. We're, we're taking over, uh, Montreal. We're taking <laughs> over uh, new Orleans. We're taking over, uh, you know, are not taking over, but our TVs are going into yeah, those places. Yeah, and, right. uh, you know, uh, we knew that there was a, an expansion and we also knew that a lot of people were, you know, like the Vern Gagne's and the Bill Watts and, you know, the Ole Anderson's, they, they yeah. were knocking the uh, Vince because they didn't think he had the, the mind to, to, you know, they didn't think he was a, pro- a professional wrestling, uh, guy, you know, and, uh, I don't think they took him too serious, you know, uh. I don't think they they took under you know the, the fact that Vince was a great uh, businessman and uh, none of us knew uh, what he had planned. But I, I do remember uh, before going into the ring WrestleMania one, mm-hmm. I'm standing there uh, 
in the curtains in in, in uh, Madison Square Garden, and uh, you know Vince telling us uh, that he put everything into WrestleMania one. You know he says this is yeah. a, a make it or break it situation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, uh, none of us knew, but I do remember Terry uh, uh, Funk talking about, uh, you know, uh, even before this started, he said, some days we're going to stop wrestling in, in high schools. And, you know, that's all we used to do back then. You know, yeah, once in a while we'd, right? we'd hit the big cities, but we'd hit the, you know, the high schools and the high school gyms and, uh, you know, the, the smaller arenas, you know, and, you know, I don't think anybody would have imagined, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, Sean, but, uh, when 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 this thing took off, I mean, we 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 would go to uh, L.A., we would go to Detroit, we would go to the big cities, and you know, we'd wrestle in in, in huge arenas in in front of uh, maybe fifteen hundred people, two thousand people, and you know, it, it didn't take off overnight. You know, it, it, right. it took uh, some building, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the houses were doubling, and then you know, uh, selling out, and then. I mean, we'd get to the arenas, and I don't know that they'll ever, they'll ever see that again. They had the, the the wrestling fans lined up, and they would circle the arena, you know, and, and half the fans wouldn't be able to get into the arenas. And it, yeah. it was a great experience because uh, we'd get there, man, and we'd see the mobs of people, uh, you know, waiting outside. You know, and you mentioned that about Vince and how he moved into these territories, and that's what it was back then. And a lot of people uh, who have listened to this podcast have explained it many times, but how the United States and even Canada and Arizona, they were divided into territories. And uh, when Vince took over the WWF, uh, that was his mission, and he was going to take out these territories one at a time uh, by spreading his syndicated programming in these different TV markets and he had this, you know, this big plan to do that. And I'm, I'm sure that these guys were thinking, yeah, he's going to run out of money. He's can't, you know, he can't, it can't be done. Nobody's done it before. And then it just kept building and building and building times. And you said, you know, he put everything he had, he mortgaged the house and everything else on WrestleMania one. But before that, also, he was spending, you know, money that, you know, it before, uh, you know, TV stations and advertisers were coming to, to Vince McMahon, he was going to them. He was paying them to put those shows on TV because he knew that if he got these uh, programs, he believed in them that much that if he got his brand, he got his product in front of people, got it on their TV sets, that they would come. And like you said, you know, the, the, the amazing transformation is where, you know, you had these guys going from, you know, where you were some nights you had 500 people. I mean, if you had 2,000, that was a big crowd to where you're talking, you know, 10,000, 20,000. And of course, we, you know, the, we just saw the record with 93,000 and more. And beyond that, it, it really is just incredible. And I, I talked to a lot of the stu- superstars because I'd love to hear their take on when it finally hit them of just how unbelievable. It, it became where you were rock stars, you, that there were just thousands and thousands of people and you couldn't go anywhere where people didn't recognize you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, and Vince said, you know, you, you guys are going to become bigger stars than the NFL players. Yeah. He says, you're going to become more recognizable. And it was true because they, they used to see us on TV. They used to see our faces yeah. Yeah. Uh, on TV, you know, two or three times a week. Uh, and you know, it, it, uh, at the beginning, it was kind of fun. And then, you know, later on when it just got overbearing, uh, you'd be trying to get a meal and, you know, fans (laughs) would, uh, would want you to sign an autograph for them. And, you know, 
sometimes, you know, uh, at the beginning it was okay, but then at the end when it was constantly happening, you know, you weren't even be, be, weren't able to get a, a complete meal before you got interrupted, you know, and it was kind of, you know, I, I was always so grateful for, for the fans, but, you know, after a while, you know, you, you, you got to eat, you know, you want a little bit of privacy and, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, we weren't making, you know, millions of dollars to, to, to give up our, to give up our, our freedom, you know, our, our privacy, you know, yeah. we, we, we were doing okay. We were doing better than, than we had ever done, but, you know, to give up our freedom, you know, and not being able to eat after a while, it, it just became a little annoying at times. Yeah. But I know, I mean, Tito, I saw you at many, many, many occasions where we did, uh, you know, fan fest type uh, events and you in, in lobbies of hotels, uh, you were always so awesome with fans. And I know that it did get tough and especially the kind of schedule you guys kept, uh, the beatings your bodies took, uh, the, the lack of sleep you'd have and finding gyms and working out. But really, I, I always remember that vividly that, uh, no matter, uh, what you were doing, you always had time, um, for the people, because I know you were grateful for what you got. And, and, and we always kind of, we go back to the beginning, uh, on my podcast here. And I just love to hear about, you know, where you come from. And I, I know you, you, you came from, uh, uh, mission, Texas, uh, Merced Solis is, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Is your, is your name? I, I, they call you Mr. Solis at, at school. <laughs> Cause yeah, we'll talk about Solis. that later. Solis. Okay. Merced Solis. Solis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, uh, but Mission, Texas, which is, folks, if you look at a map, uh, Mission, Texas is way south. You can't get any more south on this side of the Gulf, on the on the west side of the Gulf, than Mission, Texas. It's really close to the border. Um, tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up in a place like that. I don't think there's 100,000 people there today. Uh, must have been a very small town, and and also uh, about your upbringing. I mean, uh, upbringing, you you uh, were your family were were migrant uh, workers, and and what was that like as a child there? Uh, well, the population of Mission was fourteen thousand, mm-hmm. and wow, uh, that is small. We were five miles five miles from the Mexican border, and I, I would say seventy five percent were were mexican americans that were that were living in mission and the other uh maybe uh twenty four percent were whites and you know maybe one percent uh, there was a couple of black families there so uh-huh. it 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 was a it was not a wealthy a wealthy town uh i was a migrant worker you know we used to uh, at the age of seven i was the youngest of of four we used to go up north and we'd work uh you know, we'd go to Minnesota or Iowa and we'd do sugar beets. And then we'd go to a uh, Wisconsin and we'd do a, uh, you know, we'd pick cherries and strawberries and then we'd go to Indiana mm. and we'd pick tomatoes. And, uh, that was a very hard life. You know, uh, I'd miss yeah. school at the beginning, at the beginning of the year, we wouldn't start school uh, till the middle of October. And my mm. dad would pull us out in the middle of, uh, uh in the middle of May so uh, we we were always missing school. So you know, after a while, I realized that uh, you know that that I was poor, that that I was a migrant worker, and, and uh, you know my my mom's family. I had some uncles that had gone to college, and and you know they had a much better life than we did. And you know I started thinking at a very young age, you know that my only way out was going to be for me to. Uh, 
to go to college. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I started thinking, and uh, I was very lucky. Uh, my eighth grade gym teacher is, is the one that, uh, you know, started talking to me about uh, getting into sports. And, you know, he talked me into going out for football my freshman year. And, uh, you know, the good Lord helped me through, and I ended up getting a football scholarship. And, you know, uh, I ended up uh, playing in the NFL and, you know, uh, Doors started opening, you know, uh, I met Tully yeah. Blanchard and right. Tully helped me uh, get into the business and, De- and Terry Funk and, you know, it, it, uh, I, 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 I am not like Ted DiBiase and some of these guys that have become ministers and pastors or whatever, but I, I am pretty religious and, and, and I'm a Christian and, and I, I believe the good Lord has, uh, has, has set a pretty good uh, path for me. You know, he, he was there, you know, through, you know, a lot of changes in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, Tito, that, uh, you know, backing up a little bit here, because uh, I don't know how much your father uh, felt or how he felt about education, but, you know, he had to feed his family. And and uh, and you being in middle school, I mean, we're entering high school, I guess, at that point. I don't know how it was divided up then, but in ninth grade, um to make a commitment like that to play football. And, and uh, I'm sure this teacher also had in mind getting you an education. Uh, how did that sit with the family? Did your father encourage it or what did you have to convince him to let, let me do this? Well, uh, we were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, when I was going to be a freshman and my mother wanted me and my brother to get an education. I had two sisters. Uh, she wasn't, too concerned about my sisters getting a, a high school education. She she was she just wanted us to get a high school education. Yeah. And uh, uh, my brother was going to play. My brother was a junior in high school, and there was going to be. Uh, he went out for football that sp- that uh, uh, you know spring, mm-hmm. and and uh, he was going to start playing his his, uh, his junior year. So me and him took the bus from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It took us two, uh, uh, three nights mm. uh, to get from Milwaukee to mission on a Greyhound bus. Oh, and I, I, you know, I wanted to play football, but I hadn't, uh, hadn't made connection with the coaches. But on the first day of practice that my brother went in for, for, uh, for two days, uh, we left, uh, Milwaukee, you know, towards the last two weeks in August. And my father wasn't happy at all that, that we were leaving and, and yeah. we left my father, my mother and my two sisters, uh, you know, to, to, without us until the middle of the, uh, until the middle of October. So it didn't sit very well for him. Yeah. And, you know, I played my freshman, sophomore, junior and my, when I graduated from my senior year, I had gotten a football scholarship. And before we went uh, up north to, to Iowa, actually Minnesota, uh-huh. Uh, Clara City, Minnesota is where we go uh, uh, do uh, sugar beets. I, I I waited till the last minute and I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm, I'm, uh, I had set up, I had an uncle that had a, he was a, a, a head of a landscaping uh, place. And uh-huh. I, uh, he'd already hooked me up. So I said, I'm going to go to uh, Des Moines, Iowa with my uncle and I'm going to work uh and landscaping, and then I'm going to go to college, and and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm done following you. I, you know I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm going to go on my own. So wow. uh, that was not a very good scene when when I 
kind of parted with my dad. But did he see the value of what, uh, of giving you a future? No, no. He, he, yeah. uh, he, he just he, thought that he, you, he, you, you work, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 uh, he made babies to, to put us in the fields and, and work for him. My brother and I were, were males. I started driving a truck, you know, uh, without a license when I was 13 years old and so <laughs> my brother and, you know, we'd, we'd work, is, I mean, serious hours. We'd, we'd be on the fields loading them up uh, with tomatoes to take them to the factory, the, you know, early in the morning. And, and wow. we'd work at all kinds of hours. And, you know, we were 13 years old. They wouldn't allow that anymore this year, you know, nowadays. Yeah, no kidding. And I, and I imagine it gave you an incredible uh, work ethic. Um, and I'm sure that, that paid off uh, later in life. Uh, you took that chance. You got the scholarship to... Uh, West Texas State, which is now part of Texas A&M. Um, but uh, I tell you, you look at this alumni that you had there. I mean, it's like the University of K-Fabe. Uh, you had, you know, Tully Blanchard <laughs> was your was your quarterback, right? Uh, right. Ted DiBiase went there, Dusty Rhodes, uh, the, uh, the Funks, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk, uh, Stan Hansen, Dick Murdoch. There's a few others in there. Uh, I Bruiser Brody. Yeah, it's just amazing. I don't know that. I know there's different a few years in there, but that's pretty incredible uh, that that university had had uh, so many great wrestlers that were, would become great wrestlers. Yeah, I mean, for for some reason, you know, that's cool. I guess it was. I think it was mostly because of uh, Terry Funk, you know, because uh, his father had the promotion there in Amarillo, in, uh-huh. in North Texas, and, and right. you know. I think that was the, the hub, and I remember Terry go going to our football practices and you know talk, talking to him. You know, at the time I had no when I started talking to Terry uh, and Tully, I had no desire to become a, a professional wrestler because mm-hmm. I you know I was doing good in football and yeah, yeah. I started getting letters from the NFL when I, when I was a junior and I, I thought I had a chance, so you know I, I wanted to see if I could be a, a football player. So up until that point, you'd never really stepped into a ring or uh, had any any desire to to uh, get involved in it. No, I I, I wasn't a wrestling fan. You know, no, you're focused in, in South in South Texas. Uh, wrestling came on really really late, and you know, be, being involved in sports, uh, uh, I, I you know I was usually out of it by you know by twelve. I think it came on at midnight or one o'clock yeah. in the morning, and yeah. Uh, it wasn't a good time, and and I just uh, had no interest in professional wrestling. I, you know, I just didn't didn't follow it. You know, I, I I I love all other sports, but you know, I just wasn't a wrestling fan. So when I started finally finally started training, I mean, Tully says, "Oh, you'll be ready to go in two weeks." Well, I started training, and I mean, I I told Tully, "There's no way that I'm going to be ready." You know, there's <laughs> there's so much to learn. I mean, yeah. God. I, you know, I had to learn to, to crawl first before I, I could walk. And, you know, it, it uh, but, but, you know, it, you know, I, I was very lucky that I, you know, ran into a lot of people that helped me, you know, you, you got to humble yourself and ask guys to help you out and uh, watch matches. And, you know, I became a student, uh, you know, of professional wrestling and, you know, I, I was driven the way I said, and I, and I, and I told Terry Funk this, you know, uh, 
Terry, I, I was working out with Hiro Matsuda in Florida, and Terry came in. He was a world champion. He called me into the, brought me into the to the heels locker room, and he says, "How do you like it?" I said, "Well, I really like it." I said, "But I, you know, I I can't afford it. I, you know, I wasn't making any money. I was paying rent." Yeah. And I said, "I think I'm going to just go back and and start training for football again, and and give it another shot uh, next season." And he says, "No, let me talk to to Eddie Graham and." Uh, that's what happened. He talked to Eddie Graham, and and then he, uh, you know, started. I started getting a few shots, and before you know it, uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm on my way to Atlanta for you know to do my first uh, territory, and uh, you know, one thing after another, you know, uh, you know, it's not who you are; it's who you know. And uh, I guess I knew the right people that, uh, that you know. First of all, yeah. they have to accept you. It's a fraternity. You know yeah, that yourself. Absolutely. You know, if, you, yeah. if they don't accept you. Uh, You're dead. You know, I humbled myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they can make life miserable for you. Yeah. But uh, before we, we get into that, though, that I I don't know if people realize. I mean, you were an incredible caliber of football player. You were you were uh, you signed with the Chiefs, and uh, uh, went on to play for uh, in, in Canadian football. Uh, I don't know if you played a season there with the British Columbia Lions. So you uh, that was actually you, know, you you had to make that decision to give that up and, and go into this crazy business that you were going to make uh, gas money. If you're lucky when you first start out, uh, was there something that, that got the bug in you and said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Well, uh, when I was a senior in college, and yeah. Joe Blanchard, you know, like I was in the, I was in the negotiations when I, uh, when my agent and, and, uh, and I were negotiating with Kansas City, so I I thought the same thing was going to be with with uh, professional wrestling. You know, they, they'd give you a contract, uh, and <laughs> yeah. Joe Blanchard would, yeah. w- Joe Blanchard would tell me, "He says, uh, Merced, you could be making eighty thousand dollars in professional wrestling." Well, uh-huh. I, you know, I signed a contract with the Chiefs for eighteen thousand dollars a year. And and here, you know, in the back of my mind, I keep hearing eighty thousand, eighty thousand, yeah, eighty thousand. A lot of money, yeah. You know, so I, I I go and play the first year, and I I thought, you know, I, I told Tully, I said, Tully, I'm going to play one more year, and then I'm going to start the, the training to become a professional wrestler. I thought I was going to go in and I was going to negotiate a contract. Yeah. Well, little did I know, <laughs> you know, it's not the way it worked. I mean, you, you were right. Uh, <laughs> there, there were some shows where. You know, I'd make fifty dollars and, yeah. and spend sixty dollars, you know, to, <laughs> to to make it to the show. Right. And by the time you bought a six pack, as a six pack of beer was always, you know, part of the wrestler. Yeah. Back then, you know, we always had to uh, have some beers on the way because we used to drive everywhere. So we used to drive and, and reminisce and talk about the, you know, the business. And you know, I remember uh, me with the other young guys. We we'd be drinking and doing interviews in the car and. You know, it was, it was, you know, we were doing everything, trying to learn the business. Yeah, the good old days. Um, before we get too far, uh, did you get your degree then with uh, West Texas? Yeah, yeah. You did. That, yeah, wow, that's quite an accomplishment. You're, you're, that must really, uh, uh, you look back, uh, that has to stand out as something you're really proud of, that you did it while you were, not a lot of athletes do that, uh, at least that they go back to it maybe. But uh, was that, you were just driven to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, the only way I, I knew education, and you know, it was my, 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 uh, 
gym teacher that, yeah. you know, to me, I, I owe everything to, you know, he's the one that got me in the right path. Uh, and coming from uh, being a migrant worker and I was going to be the only one in my family to, to get a college degree. Uh, when, when I saw, signed the, 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 my scholarship to go to West Texas state, uh, you know, the education to me w was the most important thing. I, I, I never thought that I was going to, uh, be a, a successful, uh, a player at, at West Texas state, you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I was a fourth, fourth or fifth string tight end my freshman year, and in two weeks I was a starting, and my sophomore year I was a starting tight end in the varsity. So I never thought that it was going to move that fast for me, you know. Uh, yeah. But I, I, like you said, I, I, I guarantee you there wasn't anybody out there that was working harder than I was. Uh, yeah. Well, what was your alternative going field. to the, going to the fields, uh, the real fields? And, right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, and, and you talk about your faith or, or whatever, but it's amazing that, uh, you know, you had a Mr. Sanchez in your life, uh, you know, that that for whatever reason, saw something in you, steps in and uh, gives you that push. And, and it's great that you never forgot that and that uh, you wanted to get that degree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I wanted to be a a gym teacher myself. That's what I went. Really, that uh, was my degree. Uh, uh -huh. I I wanted to be a gym teacher, and and I got a, a, a second major as a Spanish teacher, you know, Spanish minor. And that's what I I'm a Spanish teacher now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, awesome. you know, I I just figured, you know, he helped me. If I can do the same thing for 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 one of my students, that that they can look back and say, it was uh, Mr. Solis who who. Uh, you know, set my life straight and, and got me on the right path. And I believe that uh, over the years, and this is my 21st year of teaching, mm -hmm. I believe that I have made a difference in, you know, in, in quite a few kids. Yeah, I'm sure uh, with all your accomplishments in the ring, that still means a lot to you. But I, I imagine that uh, this is on another level when you see a, a kid that you've had an effect on in their life. Yes, it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, getting back on track here, and and when you were really started training with with uh, Matsuda, and uh, I think uh, Bob Orton uh, was part of that. Uh, now, how that it, like that was it, the it, old that was old school not, training, right? Yeah, it, it it wasn't Bob Orton. It was Bob Orton's father. Bob wow. Bob Orton, you know Bob, you know you know Bob Orton Senior. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe senior, senior, because I, I think they call Bob <laughs> Cowboy Bob Orton, Bob Orton yeah. Senior, right? Yeah, right. You know, so it, it was his father oh. that 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 was training, and it was me and Barry Barry Orton, uh, Bob Orton's brother. Yeah, uh, we were we were started training at the same time. Well, and it's incredible though that you you moved to the ranks pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, I think this was about 1977, and what two years later, you you get your first uh, appearance anyway, and I probably at the time it was a you know the WWF uh, took notice. What went on over those two years that uh, propelled you? Did you just catch on, and did you, did you uh, were you in a good position in in Florida that that really uh, got you some notice? What happened during well, that period? Uh, no, uh, uh, I was only in Florida for uh, probably for a month and a half training uh -huh. and then I had four matches 
And then Jim Barnett, uh, believe it or not, uh, was also part owner of Florida. And all of a sudden, uh, who was the, who was the booker for, for, for Florida? Tom Ernesto, mm-hmm. uh, pulls me up at the, I, I forget the name of the bar that all the boys used to go to. <laughs> and he says, son, you, you're going to get the biggest break of your life. He says, Jim Barnett wants you in Atlanta. Uh, and you know, he told me they were He says, how would you like to be making $1,500 a week? And I said, God, of course I would like to be making yeah. that kind of money. So Ricky Steamboat had been in Atlanta and Ricky Steamboat, uh, Oli and, and Gene let him go and he went to Charlotte and Charlotte was the, the, the biggest, uh, I mean, he was the biggest star in, in Charlotte. I mean, he, he got over real big, real quick, you know, mm-hmm. in Charlotte, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. So Jim Barnett, uh, talks to me and, he, and, uh, I guess I didn't know this was going on, but Jim Barnett flew to Charlotte to ask Ricky Steamboat if he could use uh, Ricky Steamboat's real name. And that's what they called me first. Uh, my, my first name in Atlanta, I was Richard Blood. Oh, really? But, you know, when, yeah, they were supposed to give me a big push, but I only had four matches when I got there. You know, I, I wasn't ready. You know, there, there was no no way that I was ready, but oh. I continued to, to go into the But because he liked your I look went, and just saw, or saw your potential. I think he, both. I, I think I think he, I think both. Yeah. Well, you there know, are many uh, at the I, time, and and I know you know the there's the, the lucha Mexico. There was you know that's that's been around a long time. But were there many uh, other Hispanic wrestlers of the United States that uh, you know were part of those territories then? Well, uh, the only ones that I know of were uh, Chavo Guerrero uh-huh. and and uh, and his brothers, yeah. Hector and Mando and. And then Eddie was the youngest, you know, Eddie was pretty young. Right. Uh, and Mil, Mil Mascaras, I remember Mil Mascaras, uh, meeting him. And I mean, I, I was just awed because I had seen him and I used to go to some Mexican movies in mission and, and, and he, he appeared in some of the movies, you know, <laughs> really? he was a big star in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, and, and Jose Lothario was, was, uh, was, was, was big in Texas. I I knew that there was a market for for me- Mexican wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, you know, and, and I used to see, you know, uh, I don't want to be come out as, as somebody who thinks too much of himself, but I used to see Lothario and I used to see uh, even Mil Mascaras and 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 uh, Chavo Guerrero and and his brothers, and I used to say. I'm a better athlete than these guys are. Uh-huh. And I, and I say to myself, I can do better than, than they, than they, than they, than they're doing. And then they uh-huh. were, they were established already. So I compared myself to, to right away. I started thinking of myself as, you know, I want to be a, a considered a Hispanic, a Mexican wrestler. And uh, my competition were the Mexican wrestlers, you know, and I used to say, I, I can do better than they can. And, uh-huh. you know, that, that's my goal. You know, and I guess the promoters saw the potential, you know, because, you know, there was a lot of Mexicans in this country at the time, or by, by that time already. And uh, you, you had an opportunity to, to uh, you know, uh, really get in the ring and you were, uh, you know, uh, 
college educated, uh, bilingual. Um, did you use that in your, your working on your promos right away? How did you uh, incorporate that? Did you do that right away, or or, or did you not? Uh, well, th- not at first, because Richard Blood, I, you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't supposed to be a Mexican. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't speaking Spanish for for two years. Uh-huh. Uh I, I incorporated my uh, my Spanish once I became. I became Merced Solis when I left uh, Charlotte in, at the end of, uh, I think it was at the end of 1978, mm-hmm. and, and went to work for uh, uh, Dick Murdoch and, and Black Jack Mulligan had just bought the territory from the Funks, right. and they gave me they were going to give me a big push, which turned out to be a lie, mm-hmm. uh, but I started using some Spanish. But it was Dino Bravo. I don't know if you uh, if you uh, remembered too much about Dino Bravo, but him and I met him in 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia. And then we were uh, together in, in Charlotte. And then we were together again in Minnesota. Hmm. Uh, so it was, uh, I was doing interviews in, in Minnesota one day and, and Dino comes up to me and he says, uh, by that time I was, uh, I think I was Tito already, but it, were you? When, I, when I just became, became Tito, it, and he says, you got to incorporate the Spanish, you know, do the English and then uh, finish your interview with, uh, show some fire at the end. And he says, you got to get a catchy phrase at the end of, of your interview. And then a couple of days later, he comes and tells me, you, uh, after you get done with the interview, the last thing you're going to do is holler, arriba. Oh, right, right. <laughs> that's, wow. where, that's where that came from. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. And you say Tito, but... Uh... Were you, did you come to the WWS Tito Santana, or was that something that they incorporated? Like, where, where did no? Where, uh, I my my very first uh, Ted DiBiase. Uh, we were together in Texas, and Ted DiBiase was coming to to New York, and Andre the Giant happened to be in Texas uh, in the territory, and when he left there, he, he took a tape. I had no idea that he had taken a tape, and he showed it to Vince Senior. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, uh, I was coming to New York. Uh, in 79? You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, DiBiase came in as the intercontinental champion. Yeah. You know, he came in. They were going to give him a big push already. I just came in. You know, right. I didn't get no pre, pre-TV or, or anything. And when I met Vince Sr., uh, my first TV taping, uh, he says, uh, you're go- your name is going to be... Tino Santana, because uh, before Tino? I got there, he asked me the uh, T I N O. He said, yeah. "Think of a name, a catchy name," and, and I always like Santana. Yeah, and, and and think of a place in Mexico, and I and I said, "Okay." So I I told him I like the name Santana. So when I do do my first taping, I I go in and I I say. Uh, uh, I go in and I sign a couple autographs as T-I-N-O, Tino Santana. And when I came through, Vince uh, Jr. And, and, and the father were waiting for me when I went through the curtains. And they told me, you're going to be Tito Santana from now on. <laughs> okay. And I said. Boy, that's <laughs> that a collector's item. Yeah. That'd be a collector's <laughs> item. Find that autograph from Tino Santana. Right. There. Yeah. And what about Takula and, and Toluca? Was, was that who? Uh, because I don't believe well, there is a Takula. I know there's a Toluca. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> so 
I kept telling uh, Howard Finkel, it's Toluca, Mexico. And, to- and Howard Finkel <laughs> kept saying, Tocula. And you know, whenever he announced me, and then I said, no, Howard, it's Toluca. <laughs> and then he announced me as Tocula. So I said, okay, the hell with it. It's Whatever, Tocula. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked. Oh, that's great. You know, Howard always used to tell me, he'd always try and correct me when I would say, I would say WWF. And he would say, no, uh-huh. that's. John, that's not how you say it. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it's WWF. And I'm like, Howard, you're like saying dev. And you say, no, that I'm saying it right. You're saying it wrong. And I would go, okay, whatever. And then I just go back saying whatever, how I said it. Right. But, uh, but that first, that, that first run, you did, you got a, got a shot with a WWF. And then, uh, what, that, then you went, what you went back to, uh, the AWA or I don't know. You, you, you left yeah, the WWF. Right. Yeah, I went. I went to the AWA. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of, I, I kind of made Vince Senior, you know, my my advisor. You know, uh, yeah. every move that I made after that, you know, I would consult with him. Uh-huh. And he says, uh, he says, uh, Tito, is, uh, you can stay here after we drop the belts to the Samoans. Yeah. Uh, he says you can stay here, but I'm going to have to beat you. He says, or you can go, go, go out and get some more. Uh, uh, experience. You you still right. need to get polished. Yeah. Oh, so when said, you came uh, back, when you came in '82, you you were polished. You were ready to go because they gave you uh, a big right. push. I mean, you're working with Morocco yeah. and yeah. So you were ready. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what do you remember I, those days coming back? Though that's when it was. Uh, you know, I think it's before Vince really took over. Uh, and that you were probably doing pretty small houses. Uh, what do you remember that time though, when you came back, you said you were ready to go. Was that a, a, a good time? Yeah, be- because, uh, you know, I, I, I had made, uh, you know, I, I had been making decent money, but you know, I come back and they put the belt on me and before yeah. I know it, I'm making three times as much that I, that I ever made. And, wow. uh, you know, and it was still Vince senior who, who was in charge. But uh, he got sick shortly after I came back, and and before you know it, uh, uh, Vince Senior and, and and Vince Junior had a meeting with us, and you know Vince Senior told us that uh, you know he was going to be handing over the the reins to uh, to Vince Junior, and all of a sudden he, nobody called Vince Junior any Vinny anymore. We became uh, Vince, you know. Right. Before everybody used to call him Vinny, and and, and uh, all of a sudden he became the boss, and and he took over. I mean, he now, took over. Now, did he? Did he? Uh, did he like you? I mean, you, you, you. I know you were close to senior. Uh, was there some concern when he took over? Probably for a lot of the boys, how that uh, was going to affect them. No, I, I, I think that I, I always had a, I, I always had a, 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 a good working relationship with the uh, with Vince. Yeah. You know, I think he he also appreciated. You know. I think he saw the talent and he saw, you know, the value of being a Hispanic more than the father did even. Really? You know? Wow. Yeah. Well, I think he's, he always, uh, saw that different ways that, uh, he could, you know, use that uh, for people with, what uh, different backgrounds and, and really, uh, you know, make that part of their success. And I know that you would win the title in, in 84. And of course, you know, we, 
people may say, okay, it's 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 a work or whatever it is, but uh, to get a shot like that, you have to be on a certain level. You have to be among the elite. And they say, you know, you're the first Mexican-American to win that IC title. Do you take uh, a lot of pride in that? Uh, you know, as I mentioned, that that uh, you had to, you had to reach a certain level to to be able to to put that belt on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do take a lot of pride, and, and you know, uh, the biggest pride that, that I that I take out of all that was the fact that you know, I I uh, I knew that I was representing. Uh, the Hispanics, all Hispanics, mm-hmm. and and I knew that I was always going to be a good role model for the Hispanics. You know, th- there was never going to be uh, a headline that Tito Santana got busted, or Tito Santana overdosed on something, or you know, because you know our business went through a period where you know, yeah, uh, a lot of guys got in trouble with you know. Along with hard work came a lot of hard partying, you know, and, and uh, it, it was very easy to get caught up with in that. But uh, well, and know, also as you mentioned, hope. yeah, as you mentioned, the fame that came with it. Uh, some couldn't keep it, keep their feet on the ground. It sounds like you were able to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand. Uh, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but I would tell some of my friends, you know, how can you be blowing this kind of money? Like I knew some friends that were blowing like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, you know, on Coke. And, and I used to Jeez. say, you used to, you had to make 200,000 to, to pay a hundred thousand dollars, you know, uh, that you spend on, on, on Coke. And they would say, no, no, I, I got it under control. I got it under control. Yeah. You know, I knew how hard I, I had to work, you know, in the fields growing up yeah. for, for maybe $8 a day, you know, on the fields all, all day long. And, and to see uh, some friends, I knew they were ruining their lives, and, and, but they were also ruining their families, you know, because, you know, you couldn't keep up with that. But, but you know, as I look back, you know, I, I think that a lot of the problems was that we were working so hard that, and we were traveling so much uh, that we always had the doctors at the arenas and, and the guys would, you know, very easy to get the pain pills, you know, prescriptions from the doctor. So yeah. I thought, I think a lot of them, you know, started out with, with pain pills and, you know, and, 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 and sleeping pills and, and, and shit to keep you awake. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, we got, I worked, 350 days a year, you know, we were on the road, you know, all the time. So we were like, I remember me and uh, Rick Martel, you know, saying, okay, here goes the robots. We'd get up, you know, early in the morning to make the first flight to make sure that we got to the next city. You know, we were like robots, you know. Uh, Well, then you had to do, you had to get to the city. You had to get to a gym. You had to, some guys, you know, had to tan some of the guys, the, you had to eat, right. so you had to, you know, um, uh, yeah, and, and day after day after day. Back then, those, the right. schedule was just incredible. Uh, besides everybody the, was training. I mean, yeah. we were all uh, putting some hours in the gym. Yeah. So, I mean, but uh, how were you really able to stay away from it? Because uh, it wasn't so much the, the partying. There was certainly that partying crowd who, uh, you know, went to excess. But at the same time, 
you know, your body is taking a beating uh, every day. And so in order to keep getting back in the ring, you, ah, I got to take, you know, something to, to kill the pain. And then you're, uh, you got to be up to be able to get out there and perform. And then you got to be able to shut down at night and get some sleep. And it becomes this cycle. And, and you know, it's like you said, guys would say, oh, I, I've got it handled. Well, they didn't. And uh, eventually they would crash and burn. And just being on the road and away from your family was tough enough. Yeah. I mean, uh- uh, believe it or not, I, I I wouldn't even take aspirin. You know, I, I would real ever. I mean, you I, just I would, n- no. I I I never took any anything for pain. You know. Uh, well, and also a lot of I guys had... doing the juice too, because uh, you know that that, that pressure. Uh, were you able to to uh, stay away from that too? Yeah, yeah. I, I well, you, you you could tell my body. You know, I yeah. I, I had. A, I had a body of an athlete. I didn't have a, I didn't have a steroid body. You know, wow. I, I just, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know, uh, the consequences, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of, 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 you know, I, I used to hear some, some bad stuff about steroids and, uh, you know, I, I just, I didn't know enough about it, you know, and, you know, yeah, I, I believe Vince, I, you know, I t- he, t- he told us one time, you, you don't have to take steroids. You yeah. know, he says, I'm the one that's going to that put you in your places. So I believed him, you know, I had a, I, I had a, the body of a, 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 of a, of an athlete. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I trained, I mean, I lifted, uh, you know, pretty often and, you know, I, I, but my only, my body only got so far, you know, with, without steroids, you know, I was never going to look like the ultimate warrior. I, I was ne- never going to look like Hulk or, you know, yeah. Look at the changes that, that some of the other guys went through. You, you could tell, you know, the guys that were, were, were getting help. Do you think that cost you anything that you didn't, uh, you know, get that massive? Because like you said, I, you know, there's no one that would ever really say like Vince would say, I need you to do take these. He would, ne- you know, that wasn't, but there was incredible competition. And you know, I've mentioned many times that at any given point, there might be 60 superstars on that roster. When you think of the thousands of professional wrestlers across the United States at that time, to get one of those spots was uh, pretty incredible. You think about all those NFL teams, look how many athletes they had on their teams. There was really one WWF roster. So right. uh, it was a lot of pressure to stay there. Yeah, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I, I don't think that uh, that it was the fact that the, the, the fact that I didn't look like the ultimate warrior cost me anything. Yeah. You know, uh, there was only one ultimate warrior. There was only one Hulk Hogan. You know, there was only one, you know, we, uh, JYD, we were characters, you know, back then, you know, they didn't need, uh, everybody looking like a, like a stud bodybuilder back then. You know, you, you had Georgie animal steel. You, you had, a, you know, the, the different uh, characters, you know, the, the, the bodies, you know, uh, you know, I, I honestly don't think, uh, I think my work, my, the, my value to my, to the company was the fact that Vince could push me. And, and he told me this one time, he, he showed me, uh, he put the, the hand, uh, his hand, one hand in the bottom and then one hand on top, and then he he brought the one on top. He, he says, "I always I keep you from you go all the way to the top, 
and you look maybe to the middle and then up to the top again into the middle. He mm. says, I never bring you lower than the middle down. Yeah. And, and the fact that I was such a good worker, right. uh, I was able to put guys over and, and still rebound and, 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 and the fan, have the fans believing in me. Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, a few wins on TV, you know, you beat the right guy. You were on top uh, again, right away. Uh, if you had the ability, yeah. uh, well, in a way, well, in a way, I'm kind of glad that, you know, like, uh, when Bret Hart, uh, got, the got the title, you know, uh, Pat Patterson comes out, he says, we just had a meeting and it was between you and Ted and, and Bret Hart and, and Bret Hart got it. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the last thing that I wanted to, wanted to hear. Yeah. But I thought to my, you know, now that I'm looking back and I, you know, after a while, there's a lot of pressure on, on, uh, on, on being the world champion. And, and uh, I, I didn't see too many world champions that, that uh, continue to have a successful marriage. And to me, my family was more important than, than, uh, than being the world champion. So, you yeah. know, it, it, uh, I made enough money to, to get out of the business. And, and uh, you know, I was saving the money that I was making. So I, I've been wow. able to do pretty well. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I want to talk about that. That uh, you talk about uh, Bret Hart in the in the championship, and I think there was another reason behind that that they decided to go with Bret, and we'll talk about that. But uh, going back to that, you know, I, I mentioned how many WrestleManias you were involved in. You were involved in WrestleMania one. You were the first match ever uh, versus the Executioner. Um, you know, when we look at cards, nobody wants to be at the bottom of the card or, or however it, uh, you know, lays out because that's how, that's how it works. But, uh, being the first match for WrestleMania, I don't know if the time at the time you realized it. And, uh, I think that Vince knew that that first match had to pop, that had to get that crowd going. When you look back at that, are you, are you, are you disappointed uh, that that's where you were on that card, or do you see it as that you were the first ever match in WrestleMania history? Well, n- now I know that it it was important, and Vince yeah. told me the the reason you're gonna you're, you're on first because I, I need you to get the people off their butts, uh-huh. and, and you know that brought a different meaning. I was kind of upset before I went to the, uh, initially the, the yeah. curtains. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what the, another reason that I was upset, I don't know if you remember, but, but me and, and, and uh, Greg Valentine, we had a feud going on yeah. uh, where we had been selling out big arenas without Hulk Hogan. You know, yeah. we, we, were, uh, we were the first, uh, the first angle or the first feud that was selling out uh, big arenas without Hulk Hogan. I remember getting together with Hulk like in Madison Square Garden. Hey, you guys sold out Boston. Hey, yeah. you guys sold out Detroit, you know, and, and you know, I heard that, and, you know, uh, so we had a hot feud, Valentine and I, and, and I just couldn't see why they couldn't have given me a, a, a more valuable match, uh, in WrestleMania yeah, with one Greg. than they yeah. did, you know, but, uh, they ended up, you know, he wrestled, the uh, junkyard dog and I, I ended up having to run in. So I, I kind of did, you know we did put a little bit more fire on the, uh, you know, on, on the feud that we had. And, uh, I mean, Valentine and I had the longest feud in the history of the WWF. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about, because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, 
I just think that looking back with 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 Greg, I, I don't know if he had better matches with anyone else. Uh, you guys had some incredible ones, and I know that he, he might he might want to argue with me that on that because I I know he thinks he had some tremendous matches. But the point of it is, why do you think you guys were so good together? Oh God, we were both really professionals. I mean, I used to yeah. come home and I used to say to my my wife. I've had better street. I mean, I, I've had easier street fights than than, uh, <laughs> than wrestling than wrestling with, 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 Greg, with uh, Greg. You know, uh, we, we used to go in there, oh, and, and the reason the people bought it was because yeah. we used to beat the crap out of each other. Oh, I'm, I know, remember the those. Were con- uh, yeah, the people were convinced. You know, uh, uh, you know, they showed the surgery of my knee, and 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 and, and the, the interviews. You know, played right along, and and you know. It, it, one thing, you know, after another, and you know, I don't know if you remember, but Hulk used to have, you know, a match with somebody and, uh, he, he'd have a return match and, you know, he'd sell out the first time and it, it would usually drop, you know, uh, his return matches. Yeah. Uh, me and Greg, we'd sell out, we'd go back, we'd sell out again, we'd go back, we'd sell out again. I mean, well, people were, were, yeah. were buying our stuff. Uh, the street fight. It really Hulk, was. H- Hogan. Yeah. Hogan was so strong that they just didn't know that they, they knew that, that that his opponent uh, wasn't going to beat him. So mm-hmm. you know it would always oh, drop because so I mean, you know yeah Hogan was Hogan was strong. Yeah. I mean he was now, I'd love to go through all of these. I mean, you had so many great uh, matches, um, and you know the ones the one you had with Randy. Uh, but what, what are the, of all the guys in, in, in singles competition, I'm going to talk about some of the tag team stuff, but, uh, who, who really stands out? You t- you mentioned Greg, uh, Morocco, you guys had some, uh, great matchups. Uh, what about working with Randy and, and other, other superstars that stand out? If, if, if I was to choose one wrestler, uh, in the past that to me, we gelled. It was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I mean, really? I had some matches with, with Mr. Wonderful on, on several occasions, mm-hmm. and and you you didn't see that too often in, in, in you know in our business, where the heels would jump in the ring, and 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 go after Paul, uh, <laughs> you know, because he had so much heat. Yeah, I oh, remember uh, yeah. a, a guy jumped on, in L.A. and then one in St. Louis that jumped on his back and, you know, were hitting him and, and Paul would just, you know, throw him over and kick the heck out of them. You know, Paul yeah. was a tough guy. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we used to have some great, great matches. And But, you know, there were so many great workers. Uh, Mr. Perfect, I mean, God, he was so easy Kurt, and yeah. so good to work with. Yeah. You know, and, of course, Randy Savage, you know, was, was you know, Really, really good. How about Brett? Brett did the same thing every night. Mm. You know, if you watch one of Brett's matches, you know, you had to adjust to his style. Right. Where, you know, to me, the the, the good worker, like I adjusted to my opponent. Uh-huh. You know. And would you he, say that those always... are the best? I mean, guys that can do that. Right. Uh-huh. That's great. Um, now let's. Uh, I want to move on to the you know talking about some of the tag teams because you move. You, 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 it was like you had this transition where you were doing singles competition, and then they started uh, having you do you know some of these uh, 
you know, uh, matchups with you team up with two other guys. And, and it, it seemed like they were kind of moving that transition for you to get involved in tag team uh, competition. It, it, is that the way it kind of it, it played out or was that was there a plan behind that before you finally, you know, when you formed the uh, strike force with with Martell? I I have I have no idea. You know, is this one of those things Pat came I, to you and I, I said, was, "Hey, we're going to do this." <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you remember uh, Rick Martell was uh, teamed up with the uh, Z- Zinc, Tom Zinc. Oh right, Tom remember Zink, Tom yeah. Zink? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. For, uh, God bless his soul. I heard he just passed away not too long yeah. ago. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, they were giving them a big push, and Tom Zinc is is it, uh, gone. You know, he just left overnight in the middle of the night. Yeah. And nobody heard from him again. So then it's when uh, Vince came up to me and he asked me if I uh, would mind teaming up with uh, Rick Martell. And I said, no, because I, Rick Martell was a, was a great worker. Uh, and, you know, I, I knew I was going to be involved. Uh, and he had said, you worked uh, with him much wanna... before? Yeah, we, we had teamed up in, in the AWA and, and had a great feud against uh, – against uh, Greg uh, Gagne and, uh, and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel is, is the babyface matches. I mean, we we had one-hour matches against those guys and, and fantastic matches. I knew, so I knew we, we had great chemistry together. Really? And so it, was a, it, it, it worked from the start? Yeah, it, 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 it worked from the start. Uh, they were going to call us, uh, uh, Vince McMahon uh, suggested that they were going to call us uh, Border Patrol and they were going to get us some kind of outfit of a border patrol outfit. Uh, yeah. And I said, Vince, you know, uh, there had been some Mexicans that had uh, died in, 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 uh, in railroad cars in, in South yeah. Texas, yeah. Uh, trying to, trying to cross the border. And I said, uh, I don't know that that's a good name. You know, it could turn us heel, you know, cause there's so many Mexicans dying and, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to come across. And so then the, the, the next TV says, uh, Oh, you're going to be, we're going to call you strike force. And yeah. uh, to, so, to your relief, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah. probably had a feeling that that the border patrol isn't going to work very well. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> not, not, uh, not, not for the, for the Mexican that was in here illegal. I mean, they look at me as, <laughs> as you know, as a heel. Well, it's 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 a good thing that they they went with Strike Force because uh, that was quite a, that was quite a union. Uh, in '87, yeah. you guys won the tag team championship. You beat uh, the Hart Foundation. What did it mean to you to uh, you know win a title, uh, you know, uh, twice as a as a singles competitor, and then to do it uh, with with in the tag team competition? Well, it it was a uh, it. it it, it's like I say, like I say to me, you, it's, 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 it's it, to me when I, when I hear, when, when I talk to the superstars about this and, and it is, it's, it's an accomplishment because not only uh, are you staying among the, the best of the best, but to make a transition because not all, not all uh, superstar, not all wrestlers can, are good tag team, uh, you know, partners, you know what I mean? So to be able to do that in right, both right. and to reach that level. Uh, yeah, for me, it was, you know, I had a job to do and it, it was going to take two to, to tango, you know, to, to, yeah. so we worked really good together.
but what it did for for me the most was you know I had a family, uh, and that gave me security. I knew I was going to yeah. be around for a while longer. Huh. You know, I was going to be involved involved in some top matches and and be making some pretty decent money. You know, for for a, a while longer, for another run. Because every time you got a title, it, it guaranteed you a you know a pretty decent run. Uh, you know, for pretty decent money. You know, and, and it, it to me it was all it was all about money. You know, uh, I wanted to make as, as much as I possibly could and uh, stay as long as I as I could. And I mean, but, uh, I, I I stayed, and, and and I attribute that to my to my work ethic. Uh, I I stayed at the time I had been uh, the longest wrestler, uh, me and Hulk Hogan, uh, yeah. and, I, and and I got to the WWE before Hulk Hogan did. So I had been. Uh, longer had a longer run than anybody in, in, the, in you know in in professional wrestling, you know in the WWF. And, and besides, like you said, it was uh, it was great for your livelihood. Did you did you have a preference? Did did you like one better over the other? Singles or, or tag I, team? I I preferred singles. You know I I I, I felt that I I had mastered the art of, of being a single wrestler. Mm-hmm. And, and I had I had so much fire, uh, you know, and and I didn't have to re- rely on, on anybody else. Like if uh, you know, w- when me and Rick split up, uh, something happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened. Yeah, they they never really uh, told me the truth. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't even want to talk about that. But uh, something happened, and he was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of a sudden he shows up and and he's you know, we we he's leaving and we have to drop the belts to the to demolition. You know, and uh, being a singles, I didn't have to worry about nobody but myself. Right? Yeah, you didn't have to depend on a livelihood. Uh, right. So your livelihood, because you know, it's uh, I had a conversation with Joe Laurinaitis, and you know, as much as he loved Mike Hegstrand, when he had his issues, uh. You know, one goes down. It's the other is if he doesn't have that ability to to really uh, sell on his own. You know, to be at that point, which Joe, you know, certainly could. But the the point of it is that one goes down, it it can hurt your livelihood, and that's to depend have to depend on somebody else in this business, which we know has always been a very independent business. Uh, that's that's tough, right? Because there are no guarantees. No guarantees. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and, and I'd love to to get into more of that. But I, what I really wanted to get into is like when it seemed like you were getting a a, a big push in '91 when they came up with this gimmick, the Matador, and uh, you mentioned it about you know Brett uh, getting the championship. But was the original concept because I think at the time the WWF was you know they were expanding all over the world. Uh, we had started doing stuff in in uh, you know Europe. Uh, especially the UK, but they were going to get into South America. And was that was that the original idea when they came to you? And uh, you certainly could have done a lot to help them do that. Was that the original idea behind the Matador? I think so. Uh, Pat Pat Patterson was a booker, and and he came up and he told me that we were going to go heavy into Mexico and South America and Central America. And, you know, I mean, I do think they never told me anything, but I do think they had intentions. I mean, 
I mean, I beat uh, the Undertaker in yeah. in in Barcelona, Spain. Yeah. Uh, which not too many people saw that, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I hear that it's very very difficult to to, to get the money out of a out of Mexico or Central America, and and you know, the value of the peso was not very good, and you know, I, I guess they started that it would have been a difficult uh, a, a difficult adventure for them, you know. Uh, so then, you know, then before you know it, you know, they're going really strong into, into Canada and all of a sudden, you know, Bret Hart is, you know, becomes the, the, the world champion. Oh, did you think though, at the time, um, I mean, that would have been a great opportunity, but you know, today we're so we're very PC about how we represent other people. Did it bother you at the time? Because, you know, they did it in in a lot of different gimmicks. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, I'm not saying, you know, Hispanic, but they did it, you know, with the whole Middle Eastern thing. I mean, there was always, it's been the, the history of wrestling. Did you see at that time, like maybe that was too uh, gimmicky or not? Well, the only, way, the, the only way I saw it is I knew that Vince spent a lot of money on that gimmick. Yeah. I mean, they sent me to Mexico to, to to train to be a bullfighter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he spent a lot of money on that. He so probably I, had fun doing know, the vignettes, a, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so I, I just figured, well, I'm going to get another another good run. You know, maybe I'll get another good good uh, year or or two out of this. Uh, and that's the only thing that I was thinking. I said, you know, because yeah. when you were involved, uh, you were involved in, in main event matches. That's when you made you know big money here. Yeah, you know, so I said, well, I'm going to get one more big run, and that's probably going to be it. You know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, but but at the know, time, I, I, I didn't care. I didn't care for the gimmick at all because yeah. I didn't think I needed a gimmick. Right. But back then, and like I said, times have certainly changed. But did it ever bother you? You know, we had you had Jesse, and of course, he was a heel announcer, and you had Heenan. He would do his thing. But, you know, he would call you Chico or he'd call the flying elbow a flying burrito. Uh, did that, any of that bother you then? No, you know what? Uh, uh, Jesse and Bobby were over so yeah. big that whenever they would knock you like that, they would get, help you get over. So if they liked you, they would, they would, they, they, they would help you get over. And, and uh, I would get to the arenas. And at the beginning, it took me a while to figure it out. You know, the fans were hollering, hey, Chico. And I, it used to piss me off. <laughs> but, but then after a while, I said, I didn't realize because I didn't used to hear the commentating. So I didn't realize that, that, uh, that Jesse the Body was co uh, calling the, me Chico uh, d d during the, his commentating. Because, you know, we didn't have time to watch matches. We, we were on the road. Right, right. But in effect, if you know, if you understand the, the, the science behind this, if you want to call it that, that, that when these guys did, they were putting you over big time. It was, it was getting you higher up the card when they, right. when they put you over, like you, you mentioned earlier that you're very proud of the fact I, 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 uh, you were inducted into the hall of fame in, uh, 2004. Did you take time to really think? not only what you accomplished in professional wrestling, but what you did for other uh, Hispanic wrestlers, for, for the, the people that, that uh, uh, were of Hispanic descent uh, that 
you know, that uh, became a big part of the WWF, the expanding that audience into, you know, uh, did, did you take time out to realize that? And, and what did it mean to you? Well, when, when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Howard Finkel called me to, you know, that, that I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. At the time, there was the first Hall of Fame, the first big Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, I was in the first class. Yeah. Uh, and, and I went, there was another Hall of Fame when Pedro got inducted into the Hall of Fame in Baltimore. Uh, and it was a, a small thing that, that they did, you know, not, not much at all. So I never, I didn't realize, you know, I retired in 93. I didn't realize how much it had grown from 2004. So the only thing that I was waiting for to see was how much, if I was going to get paid any money for, to, to do this. <laughs> and when he told me how much, I, the only thing, when he told me how much I was going to get paid, yeah. that's the only reason I agreed to go to the hall of fame. Really? It was going to be a worth, it was going to be worth it. Uh, I, I never realized that. So my family from Texas came, uh, cause they told me that they fly my, you know, my family. So my mom, my brother, my sister-in-law, my, uh, uh, they came from Texas. Uh, uh-huh. Vince sent two big limousines to pick me up here at my house and take me to New York. Uh, they got us all hotel rooms. Uh, mm. and you know, when I saw the actual production, uh, of the hall of fame, uh, and, and walking around cause I hadn't been back, uh, to, to, to do much with the WWE. They, they had tried to get me to come back, but I just wasn't interested. Uh, right. uh, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, Eddie you Guerrero did do some announcing, me. right? There was a point where you did do some announcing. Right, right. I did some announcing in, you know, uh-huh. for a year. Uh-huh. For a year. But uh, going back to 2004, in the in the locker room, Eddie Guerrero came up to me and 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 told me to that he wanted to thank me because I was the one that opened the doors for the Hispanics. Yeah, and and that meant that meant a lot to me when when Eddie told me that you know he was he was the world champion at the time. Wow. So you you so, do uh, I know you're you're very humble about it, but you have to understand that you did you did play a role. You you paved the way for a lot of these guys to see what opportunity uh, that they might have. Right. Yeah. No. It, it's a. I, I. I do see it now. You know. Uh, like I, I didn't see myself as, as as a Hispanic or Mexican or anything. I just saw myself as a wrestler. Uh, but you know, now I know that you know I did make a difference for for the Hispanics. Yeah. You know. And I know above all that, uh, you wanted to provide for your family. Um, you saw the way your your uh, your family struggled when you were uh, young and you provided a very good life for them. And I want to give you a chance here to brag about your kids because, you know, Tito, I have to tell you, uh, I don't know how, you know, I went to this, the, the event uh, in uh, New Jersey, you were, you were there at that big 13 event, but I, I can't, I have to tell you like how many uh, of the guys would say to me, every, you know, Oh yeah, Tito's here. You, know, you ever, you hear how great his kids did. I mean, he got them all through school, you know, they they are uh, you know uh, proud of what you've accomplished, and I know that to you that has got you know that I don't know is that the biggest accomplishment to you? Uh, brag about your kids a little bit, will you? <laughs> I well, don't think I have to prompt uh, you much. Yeah, I mean uh, I got to brag about my wife first because you know I was on the road all the time. Oh, my yeah, wife she, was uh, right. r- raising 
raising the kids. Uh, but you know, I, I kept my kids away from drugs. Uh, my my oldest son uh, is a is a lawyer, uh, and he, his wife is a lawyer, and and uh, my middle son grad he went to American uh, University to get his law degree. My my middle son went graduated from Princeton, and I can't tell you how many uh, masters he has. I mean he yeah. he's he's unbelievably smart. Uh, he's writing books and he works uh, with human rights and he lives in, in Sierra Leone, South Africa right now. Hmm. Uh, and my middle son, uh, got his master's in finance and, uh, and accounting. And he, he went to James Madison and, and, uh, got his master's here in Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, and you know, all three of my boys uh, are doing fantastic. You know, that they, uh-huh. they, uh, and, you know, I paid for for their their first four years of college. You know, they don't have they didn't have any loans, and mm-hmm. uh, th- after that, they, they they had to fend for themselves. You know, yeah. and get some loans. Uh, my my youngest son, I I, I loaned him the money uh, to get his master's, but he paid me back. Well, I was going to say you you mentioned your wife, and and we've talked about being on the road, and and. Uh... You know, I, I know you would get there every chance you got, but you had it's great you had someone strong at home and, and to have that uh, that focus and that and that those kids were able to accomplish so much. Uh, as parents, you must be really uh, proud of that as well. Oh yeah, I mean we yeah. we 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 uh, both of us, you know, like uh, huh. I, I don't know if you you know my, my story, but the, in, you know, any any time that I wrestle in the East Coast, I I, I drive from here to Boston and wrestle and, and drive back home. I, I drive from here to Washington, DC. I, you know, I had like a 300 mile radius. Uh, wow. if I was going to be around, I, you know, I, 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 uh, and, and the guys admired that, you know, I remember the guys talking about, you know, uh, Peter doesn't, you know, doesn't stay around and party. He goes home to his family. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember Shawn Michaels, uh, talking, you know, when he introduced me, that was one of the things you mentioned, you know, uh, family was important to Tito. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you you were pretty smart with your money, uh, but you decided to become a teacher. Uh, that had to be a calling, I guess. I mean, you, you're still doing it. And what, what, 20 plus years in now at a middle school? Yeah, this is my 21st year. Wow. And, and, and uh, like, I didn't know, uh, I retired in 93. I I didn't know what I was going to do. And I tried a few things and, uh, you know, things didn't work out. And, uh, my wife kept saying, why don't you, you have a teaching degree? Why don't you teach? So I started <laughs> subbing, uh-huh. you know, and, and, and then I, I suffered two years and then I've been teaching for 21 years. Wow. Yeah, so teaching Spanish. I ever did. Yeah, that's great. And I know you still get back in the ring, uh, once in a while, uh, <laughs> So you you must stay in shape. Uh, is that still a big part of your life to to stay physically fit and uh, be able to make these yeah. appearances? Yeah, I, I I mean I get in the ring and and I and I still like to have a match and you know I, I I'm I'm pretty quick up and down up up you know I move around pretty good in the ring for an old man. Uh, and my wife says, well, how much longer do you plan to do it? And I tell her, well, as long as the fans don't holler, get out of the ring, you old fart. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. You know, it, I, I enjoy breaking up a, a sweat and, and, and working with some young guys and for them to see, you know, the psychology, how, how uh, you don't have to do a lot to get a, 
to get a, a, a match over, you know, because some of these guys, you know, they don't have a clue, that, you know. Uh, so, you know, for you to take them out there and show them, you know, how it's done, uh, they're so grateful. You know, these youngs are, young guys are, are grateful for, you know, whenever they get a chance to, to step into the ring with me, you know, I just, I just tell them, you know, just don't hit me in the mouth, you know, don't break any teeth and we'll be okay. Let's go. Well, I'm sure your, your middle school students, uh, you know, the, the Mr. Solis is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being taught by, uh, I'm taught Spanish by Tito Santana. <laughs> That's probably pretty cool for them. <laughs> yeah, it is. Or, it is. or maybe it for is. their dads. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right, Tito. Uh, you, you, I have to tell you, you were always such a class act. I, I tell you, I, I uh, people have asked asked me about you, and I said, like I said, I never ever remember you not being incredibly gracious with your fans, and you were uh, awesome to work with whenever we got the chance to do interviews and promos together. And I really think people could today, today could uh, listening could tell just how much you appreciate what professional wrestling and what your time with the, the WWF WWE. Uh, has brought to your life and it's been great talking to you uh, thanks for taking the time and, and joining us on prime time it's it's really been awesome thanks tito okay sean thank you so much Arriba. well there you go and i have to say that was another conversation that i really enjoyed having when i think of tito santana i think of two words class act that's right, class act. He truly is. And I admire him for not only what he accomplished in professional wrestling, and he had an incredible career and an incredible run in the WWF, WWE, but I have to tell you what I admire even more about him is how he accomplished his mission. That guy had a mission. I mean, here he, he came from a life as a migrant worker. They were dirt poor. He became educated. And he never lost his focus along the way. He was never going to do anything to jeopardize that. Uh, the absolute most important thing in his life was his family. And he got all his children through school. And they're all incredibly successful. And the guy is still giving back. He's been a middle school teacher for 20 years now. What an incredible individual who did it right. Thank you, Tito Santana, for man being who you are and coming on. A prime time with Sean Mooney. And once again, I want to thank our sponsor, Seat Geek. Uh, folks, if you're looking to get seats to that event in your town, you've been thinking about it, well, making it happen is as easy as a few finger taps on your phone. All you have to do is download the Seat Geek app. And as I've told you, because you happen to be one of my listeners, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, do it today. All you have to do is plug in that promo code PRIMETIME. Plug in the promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off. And we're just about wrapping it up here, so do it as soon as we're done here. But before we go, uh, I want to remind you, I want to hear from you. So follow me, tweet me at Sean Mooney Who, or of course at Primetime MLW. You can also email me at primetime at MLW.com. I promise, folks, we've got another fantastic episode coming up next week. That's going to do it for this edition of Primetime. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. Thanks for listening, everybody. The world of NLW Radio never stops.
interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T.